0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tjasa Zeitz and this is the 101st episode of the show. I am super proud. For those who are perhaps new to the show, the aim of Faces of Digital Health podcast is to explore how healthcare systems around the world adopt technologies. This is why the editorial policy is to move away from American centricity in reporting and offer the audience a global picture of the digital health development. This is why I like to talk to speakers from across the world. This, of course, does not mean that we don't host speakers from the US on the show. I do, however, try to highlight the development through the eyes of speakers from other parts of the world as well. And this is what I will try to show you today with a selection of thoughts I gathered while browsing through the episodes published in the last four years. For a light start, let's hear how Dr. Daniel Kraft, one of the top opinion leaders in digital health, nicely summarized the current state of digital health in recent episode 81. It was only
1: uh, 2009, 11 years ago, that the first Fitbit came out, right? That was sort of the very, maybe one of the earliest connected devices, did very basic steps in sleep. Now we have you know thousands of different sort of connected wearables and uh, now and breathables and even things that you don't need to wear you're connected wi-fi and voice can can give you uh, our, our digital exhaust so I think we're sort of already there in that era of digital exhaust now being integrated I mean the fact that on my Apple iPhone I'm having here I have the health kit data and I can integrate things from my scale, my blood pressure cuff if I use that if I had a glucometer, um, my heart rate data over time so You know, when it comes off my watch or an EKG. So we're now able to integrate the data more readily. It often still lives on our siloed smart devices, but we're starting to move from quantified self, where you have that as an individual patient, to quantified health where it can flow to your medical record. What happens when it gets to your medical record is a second question? But that all that potential is really here now. So we have the opportunity to go from quantified self to quantified health and really use that in a much smarter way to be much more proactive, real time, continuous to optimize prevention and wellness and health span, and align the incentives for that to optimize early diagnostics. You know, there's a lot of work now in the era of COVID, just using your Fitbit or your Apple watch to pick up the signs of someone two or three days before they become symptomatic with COVID. So we can identify and hopefully quarantine and maybe even when drugs are available that are preventative or slow the course, give that early rather than late. And then on the therapeutic side, um, now all these new tools for remote patient monitoring, whether it's your... You know, you're know wearable, counting your steps after a hip surgery and seeing if you're doing better or worse, all the way to connected blood pressure cuffs and beyond that can really inform the feedback loop. So we're already there. The trick is some great solutions are out there. How do we really connect the dots, align incentives, and get these things utilized, particularly mindful of the workflow of the clinician who does not want to see every piece of data. They want the meaning from that. They want the, you know, my view of the future of healthcare is if you're a primary care doctor, you have 2,000 patients, uh, you don't want to wait for them to show up you know, with a problem in the ER at two in the morning, you want to have a dashboard of your 2000 patients with those who are in the green, those who are in the yellow, who might have their blood pressures out of whack or haven't been taking their meds or are showing signs of uh, relapsing in some form. Uh, And then those in the red, you really, you know, make sure you're proactive and act upon. And hopefully that's aligned with the incentives for, you know, keeping them out of the hospital and giving them better outcomes.
0: Many hospitals, especially in the United States, are very progressive in terms of making the most of the available innovations on the market and are doing a lot for an improved patient experience and process optimization. After all, the United States presents the leading digital health market in the world. However, Asia is getting stronger and stronger in second place the continent is diverse, and as Julian de Salberry, the CEO of Gallant Growth Asia, emphasized in episode 41, that is important to keep in mind when thinking about expanding in this area of the world.
2: One of the golden rules, I guess, of anyone looking at Asia-Pacific is you should not treat it as one block, and you should certainly not think that uh, the fact that you will being successful in one particular country means you'll be successful in the neighbouring country, always uh, in another market in Asia Pacific. I guess a, a bit of a paradigm shift, where a lot of investors have always regarded Europe and, and the US as stable. You know, you could predict more or less the way the economy was going to grow, and therefore you could make decisions accordingly. Uh, and, and therefore, that was always in contrast with a lot of the Asian markets. Uh, I think those assumptions been more or less turned on our head, which means that, you know, in fact, are we looking at certain markets in Asia with potentially greater degrees of stability going forward, as far as investors concerned?
0: Many things have to be taken in consideration when thinking about different markets. As an entrepreneur, Gulen Serra, the CEO of the Spanish-based company Medico, guest in episode 84 says that in internationalization and looking at new potential markets language is the most important factor to consider the most
3: important limiting factor for internationalization internationalization is language it's not about being in a country or another country it's about language of the medical service Translating the app and the platform is quite is very easy. It's not costly. The, the most important thing for us is that if we, for example, want to open in in Portuguese or in English, we need to have this twenty four seven basic immediate, immediate medical service. And this immediate medical service you, have, you need to have a doctor at five o'clock in the morning is very costly. So it's the most limiting factor for us. This is why it was. M- much, much easier for us to go to Latin America, to US, and also in Spain, That, for example, over, uh, opening in France.
0: Different countries differ in their culture and how technologies are used. I'd say that different parts of the world, quote-unquote, run on different platforms. For example, in China, society runs on WeChat. In India, the key communication platform is WhatsApp. Abhishek Shah, CEO of Wealthy Digital Therapeutics Company from India, who was the guest of episode 78, explained how the use of WhatsApp in India differs from the West. It is gaining a similar significance as WeChat has in China, which is why Wealthy even conducted some of their clinical studies through WhatsApp.
3: So you're looking at an environment where Hundreds of millions of uh, of individuals are coming online and have never seen a, a, a laptop or a desktop. Their first device that they're ever going to get access to internet, or they have access to the internet, is the mobile phone. You're looking at an environment where landlines and broadband is not really seen at scale, but it is uh, you know wireless and um, and and you know four G, three G. And soon 5G is going to be the way in which consumption dominates. You're looking at an environment where today the sheer amount of credit debit cards, and I don't have the exact numbers, but broadly, uh, the number of digital wallets that are there in this country is about 10 times the number of credit and debit cards that are there in this country. And in that environment, you see adoption of these platforms that are unprecedented scale. Today, um, you know, in China, you, you know, WeChat, I think, contributes to one third of all time spent in China on online. So WhatsApp in India, even commerce is happening on WhatsApp, you know, the payments are, are, will happen on WhatsApp. And, and this is a fraction of the kind of environment that WeChat has created in China. In their, I mean, you know, your movie tickets, your grocery shopping, or your, your payments, your uh, taxi booking, I mean, the Sure sheer amount of use cases uh, that have been built on top of WeChat is astounding. Uh, so I think WhatsApp is, while WhatsApp is used uh, with a very, very high depth in India, uh, honest to God, I think it's just uh, scraping the tip of the iceberg right now. There's a lot, lot left underneath. So actually, the first study we did, we did it um, on WhatsApp where we actually worked with patients uh, and we delivered the entire therapy through WhatsApp to see whether or not this could actually improve outcomes. And that was amazing because it allowed us to go very quickly to market without necessarily the the investment on um, on the product that there is today, but allowed the core principles of it to be tested.
0: Last year, I did a special series about Africa. You know the continent that many people around the world talk about as a country? though it actually consists of 54 countries? To me, Africa is a good reminder that digital health apps span beyond smartphones. Since cellular phones are still prevailing, many digital health solutions are based on the USSD protocol, which is a communications protocol used by GSM cellular telephones to communicate with the mobile network operator's computers. USSD can be used for WAP browsing, prepaid callback service, mobile money services, location-based content services, menu-based information services, and more. Among the speakers on the show coming from Africa was the founder of Mobile Afia, Maria Teresa Samson Kadushi. She is a Tanzanian innovator passionate about disrupting the public health sector, which is in Africa marked by traditional beliefs. In episode 56, she, among other things, explained how in Africa, worries about privacy in the digital age are not worries about how our global corporations exploiting our data
4: privacy here in Europe is more about personal data and who has it and how are they going to use it. But back in Africa, privacy means that how can I keep whatever I'm doing to myself and not people around me, like not allow access to people around me. And because the thoughts from the beginning, we we had that thoughts. And this is also why we opted for interactive session, because you're getting the message right after you finish selecting what Uh, You want to learn about, and you can read right at that instant and delete that message without a trace. Moving from
0: Asia and Africa, European healthcare systems are often praised for universal access to care. However, as mentioned by the patient advocate Bettina Ril in episode 68, in Europe, where you live significantly impacts your access to healthcare. Especially in rare diseases, chances of survival of a patient can depend on where the patient resides. Are there any clinical trials near her? People move to get a chance at survival. And this very much reminds me of the often mentioned fact by US experts that the zip code is the biggest determinant of health.
4: It very much depends on the disease situation, but I can tell you, even in some melanoma has gotten a tiny little bit better. But now, if you look at rare melanomas, there are just a handful of trials in Europe that are interesting right now. And if you're not living in that country, the only chance to have access is to move there. Sometimes you can travel, go back and forth. Some people live close to the trial site for a couple of months. Um, but that—that that is already that's already our reality, and uh, I don't think it's going to get any better. And everything gets, we have touched upon rare conditions before, I do believe that rare exemplifies that problem. We cannot, I mean, if a condition is very, very rare, and especially when you live in a small country, now I live in Sweden, we are 10 million, to expect that you have a specialist for every rare condition on this planet is just not going to happen. So I believe in international collaboration, especially for the rare conditions, because that's the only way how we can accumulate sufficient knowledge on one side. But that also means that we have to get the patients there. So either the patients have to travel or we have we have to set up systems in order to take care of these patients so that you could have like, you know, that they only occasionally have to travel and then you have some type of telemedicine or some collaboration between a local partner and to partner abroad. So I do think that we're going to change our system.
0: From the business perspective, Europe is a complicated market. You need to tackle language barriers, the diversity of healthcare systems and policies. Kaya Health is a digital therapeutic startup that was founded in Germany and is now operating in the US market as well. In episode 77, Mark Lieber, the VP of Business Development at Kaya Health, talked about the differences they are noticing between the German and the U.S. market.
5: I I was struck at first in the differences between the consumer sector, consumer habits, for example, because actually the healthcare systems are not so different. They are definitely different. Uh, However, there are a lot of similarities between the German healthcare system and the U.S. healthcare system. For example, having... Both private and, and public sectors, even though the, Germany has a larger public health sector than perhaps the U.S. does as a percentage of the population, but but the consumer behavior was really interesting to me at the beginning as well. Um, so what what at least I noticed, and what we hear about quite often, is that in Germany, consumers value medical advice and medical recommendations very highly. Data privacy is is very very important for this consumer group uh, and. Uh, Trust is earned rather than assumed. So these groups, uh, this group of consumers uh, is, can be quite skeptical of companies that enter the market if they're not familiar with them. And and a lot of that has to do with, with privacy. As well as that, uh, what I noticed is that there's also a, a lower willingness to pay for services by patients or by insurances. So indeed convincing. German insurances to pay for Kaya for their members was very difficult uh, at the start. And we actually began as a direct-to-consumer product. Once we had a lot of users on the direct-to-consumer side through building that trust, we were able to appeal more to the insurances because they saw that a lot of their members were already using the product and feeling better.
0: I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fascinated by these facts. One of the findings that recently made me think was a thought from Venezuela. While we mostly perceive the future of healthcare digitization as a one-way progression street, Luis Santiago, the CEO of a Venezuelan healthcare IT company Pegasi, explained how progress can get crushed when the economic situation of a country changes. In the last few years, in Venezuela, many hospitals had to switch from IT back to paper because IT companies went bankrupt and ceased existing.
6: Even though in Venezuela you had a smaller operation in healthcare ITs than in other countries, there are many more that evolved in a faster manner like, for example, Argentina and Brazil that are the largest countries or the largest markets for healthcare IT in Latin America. The Venezuelan market itself grew fast. When we started, we were like the only competitors in the area. And when we exited the market, we diminished our operations in 2016 and 17 because we migrated. And we saw that we're, uh, like the, the peak time was around 2014 and 2015 because there were a lot of competitors in the market. There were at least eight other companies who were providing this kind of service. But then the, the crisis hit. And the, the lowest moment in crisis in acquisition power in Venezuela was in 2016. A lot of our competitors either left the country and, like, for example, we, we went to customers who had a uh, part of our solution implemented and then had, like, the, they were doing their uh, laboratory with other software. And they said, like, oh, no, the, the guy that uh, developed the software went to live in Aruba and he's not taking our calls anymore. Or, uh, I don't know, this was... Uh, bought to a company outside of Venezuela, and we don't have access to preferential dollars, so we cannot pay for the software anymore. It paints a, a very large picture in how the, the service that you provide to patients declines when healthcare IT, software uh, implementation, adaptation, usability declines because of the country's whole uh, situation. So there, there were a lot of processes that uh, our customers used to do on computers that they had to resort to doing by hand. And then there's, again, the error on transcription and the error storing that information and multiplying that information. Venezuela has faced like a devolution, as you might say, in, in that sense. So the, the current status is there's a lot of areas that operate like they did in the 80s, perhaps even earlier, because of the technology uh, adoption is not possible.
0: These are just a few insights into the global aspect of digital health. If you'd like to explore more, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com archive to search through other episodes as well. And if you'd like to continue the exploration in the future, do subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes automatically. And if you enjoyed the content, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your show. And doing so finally got easy. All you have to do is go to lovethepodcast.com slash faces of digital health, where you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. So just click on the link in the show notes and leave your rating or a review. Every thought counts. Thank you.